Hello and welcome to Sundial on WLRN. I'm Luis Hernandez. Thanks so much for joining us. Last week, we tried to answer your questions about solar panels. We learned about co-ops and how people can work together to find good deals on installations. But there are still a lot of questions about cost and quality and the current challenges of getting panels. Like, well, you have supply chain issues. And by the way, there's a U.S. investigation into Chinese solar panels. So we spoke to one of our listeners about his experience, David Lewin, a retiree in Broward County. Last year, he installed solar panels, and he shared some of his experience with us, and he started by telling us, why go solar? Primarily because of the increase in electricity bills, plus the uh, option to be able to have my own power if the electricity goes out, Mm. plus the fact that I get 26% off in terms of my tax credit. When you started the process of shopping for solar uh, installations. Briefly describe, what was that like? Is it easy or is it really complicated? Well, it's easy in the fact that um, there's a lot of people will come and visit you and sell, uh, try to sell you the systems. It seems a lot, solar is growing rapidly, or was growing rapidly in the state. And, um, you can, there are so many different ways, different approaches you could take. When you look back on it now, uh, what was it like for you? For me, it was fine. Um, I had a lot of technical questions that the sales rep couldn't answer, and it's a very complicated um, electrical system that you're installing. It's not something that most people have a great deal of knowledge about, I don't believe. I mean... Um, I'm now thinking in kilowatt hours instead of miles per gallon. And I'm hoping to get eventually an electric vehicle that I can plug it in and power it from my solar panels. Mm-hmm. So you installed the uh, solar panels first. and Yes, I wanted to see how much power the, that those panels would actually generate compared to how much I'm actually using. And what was your experience like? Did you get the sense that they were actually worth the cost? To me, they were worth the cost. And it was not cheap. I mean, it was an expensive process. Um, and a lengthy process, too, because once you've made the application, you then have to get the financing, um, which was very reasonable, uh, 1.49% financing. Um, and spread over 25 years. And the other thing was it added $30,000 to the value of my property, which cannot be used in terms of the county property appraiser. Now, you started with the solar panels, but then eventually you did have to get the battery backup system, right? Yes, um, I started off with the panels to see exactly how much they would generate in my situation um, with trees and shade and all of those factors. And it worked fine, um, but it just wasn't enough. It wasn't generating enough. Um, so I, I got more panels, and at the same time, I got the battery backup system. It's like phase two for me. But once you've purchased, made the contract, and you've arranged for the financing, it has to go through the city for a permit, and that can be a lengthy process. 
you're still connected to FPL, and you're giving them some of your energy. I'm connected. I use the net metering system with FPNL. They came fairly fairly rapidly once they once the system was installed. They came and switched over to that. And the thing is, I have a magic app on my phone that shows me minute by minute, practically panel by panel, exactly how much kilowatt hours are being generated from each of the panels by day by night. You, you've had this now, this system, for almost a year. Yeah. How would you describe to people, you know, how it's changed your life? I've, I'm a lot really, I'm, I'm happy that I added value to my property without increasing my property taxes. Um, I'm happy that I'm getting 26% um, of the cost uh, in a tax credit. I'm happy that if the power goes out, I will still have power because of my batteries. I'm happy that they're silent, unlike um, most generators. Now, you said, though, you you have a 25-year loan. These things last 25 years, or was it 20, 25 years? Yes, they do. Um, The panels last longer than the batteries, I'm, I'm told. If anybody comes to you and they're on the fence and they don't know if they're going to do it, what do you tell them? Well, it's a long-term investment. Um, it's not a short-term, quick return on your investment. And um, it's not cheap. I know tell shop around. There are so many different systems on the market now. But you have no regrets? I have no regrets, no. Again, we are talking about solar energy in our follow-up conversation from last week. We want to know, what is keeping people from installing more solar? Is it the cost? Is it government red tape? Is it the utility company? That was David Lewin, a Broward County resident, and he shared his experience getting his solar panels installed. By the way, share your stories on our Facebook at WLRN Sundial. I want to bring in environment reporter Alex Harris from the Miami Herald. Alex, great to have you back. Hey, Louis. So glad to be here. All right. You heard from Mr. Lewin, and I'm wondering what what about his story jumps out at you, you know, that people, things that people need to be thinking about when they're considering this. Yeah, well, I'm so glad you featured him because I think it's so important for people to hear from other residential rooftop solar customers because it he, like he so eloquently spoke, there are a lot of great benefits to having rooftop solar. You can you know, have a cheaper bill. You can know your energy is coming from somewhere clean. You can be contributing to helping us avoid the worst impacts of climate change. But also, it's a pretty expensive upfront investment for most folks. And it is not something that's going to turn around to get you your money back immediately. It's a long-term financial investment that will take some time. So I think he really you know, walked everyone through the pros and uh, potential cons of having rooftop solar. Yeah, it's and he did mention the solar tax credit. Um, it's twenty six percent right now. That's going to change next year, right? That's right. Yeah. So we have a federal solar tax credit, and like other tax credits, it's uh, not something that you know you get uh, like the. Um, it's not a check you get from the government. It is a discount off of the taxes you pay. So it's sort of you need to be making and paying, making a lot of money and paying a lot of taxes to really get this discount. But right now is 26%. Next year, it's dropping to 22%. And it is currently set to expire in 2024, unless the US government extends it. And there are some some conversations about extending it and maybe even raising it through uh, President Biden's Build Back Better Act. 
All right. We, we heard from a lot of folks last week on, on this topic, a lot of questions and comments, and, and we didn't get through all of them, so I'm going to get through some of them now. Uh, we heard from Christine in Tamiami. She says, quote, Solar companies make me feel uneasy or like it's a scam. They say, did you know going solar is free? Really? Then you see the cost of Tesla's tiles at 50000 Maybe I haven't researched it enough, but it's something my family definitely wants in the future. Alex, I've seen these ads. I've seen some ads on Facebook and YouTube, and they make it sound like it's free. And then it's like, wait a second, what is this? So, I mean, so she has a good question. Is this a scam? What's going on? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we're sort of in a wild quest of rooftop solar right now, right? Like it's, it's profitable, it's desired, it's a good thing for the planet. So a lot of companies have rushed in um, and so that's why it's very important if you are going to go with rooftop solar on your home or your office, your building, you should do your research on the company because scams do exist. But if you're seeing the language around free, free solar, it's probably not a scam. It's probably referring to a power purchase agreement, which is where the solar company comes and installs the system on your roof and says, OK, we'll pay for it. We'll install it. You don't pay anything up front and then we'll sell you the power. Um, and that can be really great for homeowners who maybe don't have that cash to install a whole system. And it locks you into a power rate for 25 years that's probably lower than what you're buying from FDL or Duke or whatever you are in the state. Uh, but that can mean that you don't get all the benefits of having a solar system. Like for instance, the solar tax credit we just talked about, that only applies to whoever installs and owns the system. So the company that installed it for you is gonna get that tax credit. And if the price of electricity drops lower than what you are already agreed to pay, you're locked in paying a slightly higher rate for however long the length of your contract. So it's not a scam, but it is something that you should pay attention to. And maybe it could be a good option or a bad option. It depends on what works for you. Yeah, there's research, research, research. That's the mm-hmm. thing to, to, to remember. The, one of the benefits of residential solar is, as you mentioned, and, and David mentioned, the lower monthly bill. Um, but recently, uh, Florida's two biggest utilities began charging a minimum monthly bill to all consumers, including solar. Why, why do they do that? How does that affect the solar customers? Yeah, so uh, the two biggest utilities in the country, in the state, um, are SPL and Duke. And Duke Energy started their minimum bill in, earlier this year, of January. And FPL has kicked in on June 1st. So that's now $30 a month for Duke Energy and $25 a month for FPL. And the two folks that that would affect the most are snowbirds and solar customers. Um, so, for instance, if you are a snowbird and you're not here half the year and you're not using any power, you're probably used to lower power bills. Now that's slightly higher considering. Some of these folks have are on fixed incomes. This could be an issue. And the other issue is solar customers who are, you know, as we discussed, one of the best perks of solar is a lower monthly bill. And this is eating away at that. Of course, it's not, um, no one's paying zero. If you were connected to the grid of the solar uh, panel system, you are still paying your utility some money. Uh, you pay a connecting charge because, you know, you're still relying on the grid. You're still relying on all the power lines. So these minimum bills aren't zero to $30. It's $13 to $30. Or for FPL, you went from your connecting charge of $11 to $25. So this is just one more thing that um, solar rooftop solar advocates say could make it harder for rooftop solar customers to uh, get their money back fast enough or might disincentivize them from installing more rooftop solar, which obviously if we're looking at the future of climate change, more solar is a better idea. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so there's it's it's the reason that these companies, FPL and Duke, are doing it is because they want to make some of the money back that it takes them to maintain the grid, maintain the power lines, send people out in a hurricane to fix things. So their answer to that is 
even if you have solar, everyone should be paying a minimum bill to pay and to fix all the stuff that it takes to keep this uh, state electrified. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that, you know, the supply chain issues uh, have played a role in all of our lives and, and even in solar. But there's also an investigation right now. Uh, the Biden administration is is investigating uh, if China was trying to get around U.S. trade restrictions and tariffs by selling cheaper panels through other countries, and that's making it hard for some people to get solar panels. Uh, what I mean, just briefly, this I know this is a big story, but there were mm-hmm. some local lawmakers who are trying to get Biden to finish this investigation so we can move on, on with this. Yeah, so as you said, it's a pretty complicated topic, but the short and dirty of it is that um, earlier this year, the Department of Commerce started investigating to see if the four countries that make up about 80% of all of the solar parts and panels and wires that we use in the US were actually a pass-through and we're importing uh, basically completely used, uh, completely built panels from China and routing them through these four countries so that we can uh, have them here. And that's an issue because China's got a lot of tariffs and levies on it for these solar panels because there are a lot of issues in China. They uh, There have been investigations into whether the places in China where they create the um, photovoltaic panels we use are using weaker slave labor. There's questions of whether the Chinese government is uh, a pump and dump scheme. They are radically uh, cutting the costs for state-owned companies to produce these solar panels to undercut other panels in the market, like domestic production from the U.S. or Europe or other places. So this is the question at hand is, are these four countries uh, skirting the law and, and avoiding these tariffs? So that was a big question. And in Florida, I wrote about what that impact has seen. We've seen delays on imports from those four countries. We've seen prices go up. And specifically, we've seen some of these bigger projects delayed. Orlando uh, had their utility was planning on massive solar expansion next year, and they pushed it a whole year because of uncertainty from this project. So it caused a lot of questions in the industry. Yeah. It, so look, in the end, it just said, as we've been mentioning, do your homework, research, research. There's a lot of information out there. The only thing I would say to what David said, he, he, I guess is the salesman he mentioned didn't have a lot of answers. I would be worried if the salesman does not have my answers. I'd probably go to another company. But um, yeah, just do your research. And by the way, I've got all of some of the stories that you've written uh, on these uh, issues. We're going to share on our social media as well. Alex, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Alex Harris, environment reporter for the Miami Herald. Again, hearing from all of you on this, we heard from Samster uh, Smithy on Twitter. The question is, quote, why isn't rooftop solar required on every parking structure, big box store, office building, etc.? We also heard from Mark in Fort Lauderdale. He says, quote, every house in Florida should have solar panels and be solar powered. We should encourage solar powered electric vehicles. The sun is one of Florida's greatest resources. We are not utilizing it enough. Thank you so much for sharing all your questions with us. There's a lot on this topic we got to cover, but we got to move forward. Still to come, a new documentary looks at mental health struggles in young people. Welcome back to Sundial on WLRN. Everyone is affected by their mental health, good or bad. A new national public television documentary called Hiding in Plain Sight, Youth Mental Illness, shows young people who battle with mental health issues and they share their stories. Why am I acting this way? And it became a very frustrating thing whenever I'd look in the mirror and there's nothing wrong with me on the outside. There's absolutely nothing wrong to make sense of that pain. When I'm mad on the inside, I'm mad on the outside. I feel very 
unmotivated, disinterested. My friends had no clue what I was going through at all. I felt like, well, my mom didn't care, and my dad was so busy and tired, and I had so many emotions that I had to deal with. I was like, oh, I can never be depressed. I can never be have anxiety problems. I was always like, oh, I'll be perfectly fine. I just didn't want to talk about it. I just wanted to leave it alone. It was constant sadness, and in anything that I did, I couldn't find myself to be happy. I was being reckless with my body and like taking a lot of drugs and stuff and just being careless and not caring if I wake up. At that age, how are you ever going to end? Well, the project executive, executive produced by filmmaker Ken Burns includes insights from families, mental health providers, school advocates, and people sharing how childhood trauma, stigma, and social media have affected their struggles. The documentary shares young people dealing with suicidal thoughts and ideations. And, and before we get into the interview, I just want to say that if you or anyone you know is struggling, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline provides 24-7 free confidential support. That number is 1-800-273-8255. Earlier today, I spoke with Justin Volpe. He's featured in the film, sharing his own story here in Miami. I want to go back to the beginning. When did you first hear about this documentary project and, and what did you think? I first heard about this project uh, three, maybe four years ago. And they told us uh, a film crew was coming down to Miami and, and focusing on youth mental health. And they wanted to uh, interview some people that I previously worked with at my past employment with the Miami-Dade County Jail Diversion Program. And I, and I thought it was a great opportunity to, to share my story and to maybe, you know, people could hear it and get some hope and, and relate to their family members struggling and, and getting help as well. And yeah, I wanted to, to touch on that part, why you wanted to share your story, because that's not easy for a lot of people. I've been in the field almost 15 years. Um, I've traveled nationally sharing my story, and um, I, I, I enjoy doing it and giving people hope because I want people to know that I was down and out. I was at my lowest points and that people can recover, that they deserve the right to recover and have the right resources in place. And it takes a community, it takes a family, it takes a community, and, and we all play our part. And I think the more conversations we have about this uh, and the more, the less stigma that we put toward issues like this, the more relatable they become and the easier it is to get help. So people don't have to end up uh, dying premature deaths, ending up in jails and institutions and having a better quality of life. So it's about improving everybody, including yourself. You've been outspoken about, uh, you spoke out about self-medication. Um, freshman year of high school, you lost someone close to you. Was it, was that when things began to feel out of control? You know, I had uh, a little trauma in my, in my childhood too. And sometimes people make their expression, oh, he went from zero to a hundred real quick, but I was already idling at 60, if that makes sense. Mm. And, um, when my best friend died in an accident, um, it did it did push me over a little bit, and I and I stopped caring about school and, and the activities I was once involved in, and and I found a coping method, and and it worked, it worked until it stopped working, and and then the unmanageability started very young. 
You know, at, at that stage, did you have anybody you could talk to? Did anybody understand? You know, people reached out, counselors in school reached out. My family sent me to a psychiatrist, uh, 15, 16 years old. I was given medication then. But it's hard to relate to somebody going through that when they're in denial and, and lack the ability, the insight to see what they're going through. So it may make sense, even people reaching out on the outside. But until you put yourself in somebody's shoes like that and to really see what they're going through, um, it's challenging. And, and, you know, people don't get help right away. It does take time. And sometimes people have to struggle on their own to find it themselves as well, even though resources are in place. You know, one of the things that I got from the documentary from mental health care experts is that people experiencing distress are going to look for ways to feel better or at least cope. Do you feel like that's what you're chasing? I was chasing, yes, um, when I was when I was younger, um, a way to feel better. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, there's so much stigma around mental health that I think especially young adolescents are, are easier to give in the peer pressure and to pick up a substance that their friends are using than, than to say that, you know, you're crazy and you have to take this medication. And I think there's a lot of stigma around that. But that hope that, you know, that, that feeling that I was chasing of trying to get better, I found through other avenues and paths without those substances. And I'm happy to be celebrating 10 years of sobriety next month. Congratulations on that. Um, help people, you know what, because you just said something interesting. Uh, there is a stigma because people, if they don't put themselves in your shoes, they don't know. But is it something that you can spot? Because I wondered at what point did you realize that you were addicted to harmful substances? It took me long, but not too long, um, to the point where I had already been involuntarily hospitalized. I had already been to rehabilitations and I had already been incarcerated. And I was out in the community as a participant with my former program. And I was out there using and, and it kind of hit me that I was not well and I needed help. And that's when I went to help 15 years ago. And I stopped using substances after I accepted the counseling, after I made that admission to myself. Um, but then I still struggled with alcohol for a few more years after that, which, which thankfully I was able to let go 10 years ago. Did, you know, when you were young, did you think at any point that any of your actions were just, you know, quote, normal teen behavior? Because I'm wondering, when did you realize or were afraid that that maybe you're going through something different? Yeah, I didn't realize that there might have been an underlying mental health issue. I thought that I, I had zero insight. I, I knew that things were out of control and that and I was used to that. Um, and I thought that's just how life went. You know, I, I think people get used to the unmanageability and the chaos and it becomes a part of their life. And when that is a normal reality, it's hard to judge it on how you're doing and, and how, how, what's, what's well and what's not well, when you're just struggling to survive every day and cope with these emotions and feelings you're going through and, and just, you know, a knee jerk reaction is a, is a perfect description for addiction with no insight. You had described um, wandering around Miami Beach 
before your family insisted that you go to rehab. And then you had other mental health symptoms come back. What was it like after rehab? Well, I kind of didn't finish rehab because those symptoms came up and um, I had stopped using drugs when I went to the rehab and it was an outpatient rehab. And, you know, a good sign that you have a serious mental health issue is that when no drugs or alcohol are present and those symptoms come back and I just, I just lost it. I just lost it. Um, You know, I got very paranoid, very delusional. Um, and I ended up involuntarily hospitalized. I tried to go back to the rehab and they said, you know, you have a serious psychiatric condition. We can't help you. Um, they said, you don't have a drug problem. You have a psychiatric problem. And, you know, when you're have low insight, that's like an insult, like, (laughs) you Mm, know, mm -hmm. there's somebody like, listen, you're not a drug addict. You're just crazy. You can't be here. You know? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's tough. It's tough going through it you know I can look back on it and laugh and realize my faults and where I was wrong and 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 my pride that got in the way but when you're going through it it's a different thing I'm speaking with Justin Volpe he participated in and he's featured in the new public television documentary by filmmaker Ken Burns it's called hiding in plain sight youth mental illness the film shows people struggling with mental health challenges and it focuses on the importance of awareness and empathy. You can find a link to watch the documentary on our social media at WLRN Sundial. The documentary shares young people dealing with suicidal thoughts and ideations. If you or anyone you know is struggling, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline provides 24-7 free and confidential support. That number is 1-800-273-8255. Were there resources around to help you, you know, good resources, or, you know, is it just a matter of looking for them? What was going on? There's resources out there. The stigma is so much that to walk into a place blindly and ask for help takes a lot of courage. I mean, that is one of the strongest things that somebody that is struggling can do is to reach out for help for themselves. I commend you if you do that because I had to, it had to be beaten into me. Those resources were there, um, but I was in complete denial and lacked insight to my addiction and mental health issues. And I think I didn't want to admit something was wrong with me. Um, and that, that, you know, played in a lot. That played a big factor. So what were those mental health resources in South Florida that helped you in that chapter of your life that you might recommend? Yeah, you know, I've worked with, with many different community providers. I've been a client of many different providers here in South Florida. And I, and I tell you what, it's tough to walk in those doors and it's tough to deal with some of the people and the staff, but it's worth it. Um, from Jackson Behavioral Health to Douglas Gardens in Miami Beach, um, they, help, they help get my life back together. And, and you know, I've had many private therapists and psychologists and there's help out there. Um, and it's so easy to access now that you don't even have to walk in that door sometimes that you can dial up on zoom and you can do an intake without having to take three buses. Cause you know, that's the other thing, the logistics part of it. Yeah. I want help, but then I have to be somewhere across town at eight in the morning for an intake when I have a job, when I have kids, you know, and there's barriers to that. But I think, 
you know, the one blessing of this pandemic is it's brought people a little closer together via Zoom and, and increased access to telehealth services, which is very convenient and helps if, if you can't leave the house. One of the things, too, that really uh, I found so interesting is how the project looks a lot at how the pressure of social media and online bullying and the, the pressure to, to, to be, you know, quote, perfect uh, can make mental health symptoms worse for people who are already experiencing these challenges. The only thing I can relate to is when I was younger, that, that idea of being perfect was still, you know, part of life. Of course, when I was young, we didn't have, all, <laughs> we didn't have the internet. So, but you know, you being 38, uh, how do you think about how that might've impacted what you were going through, you know, at 15 to 20 years you know, that's a great question because I don't know how old you are, but at 38, I was one of the last generations to play outside and not have the internet and to gain access to the internet when I was 15 or 16. Um, and, you know, it started out, the internet didn't wasn't what it is today. Of course, you know, right, we exactly. didn't have Twitter right away. <laughs> it plays a major factor in my life is something I have to avoid for my health and wellness. And I think that social media can be a great tool and it could be a great way to connect with people, but it also exposes you to a lot of information that you wouldn't want to see, um, you know, or want to look up and, and exposes you to people's lives. It does portray a, a perfect image of a lot of people. People don't go in there and say how bad things are. Um, for my own mental health now today, I, I avoid social media. Um, and it's and it's helped improve my life a lot more. And, I, and I'm not saying that as social media is terrible, but I think it can be for somebody that... Um, may have a mental health issue and may be struggling um is that you know real connections i you know i i am a little old school i, I love to see people face to face i love to connect with people and socialize and i think you know that's a big part of recovery and healing um is seeing what real life is like and experiencing these things and not just viewing them from a screen you know sitting here listening to you i was thinking about what you said earlier um, you know, you wanting to share your story because it might help people. This is really hard to talk about. And so I'm wondering, like, you know, do you find yourself ever helping people to open up? Yeah, you know, I did a lot of frontline work with the jail diversion program. I assisted, you know, over a thousand people out of custody, got them community based services and built a lot of relationships, some relationships I still have today. And that peer work, my role as a peer support specialist, is building the rapport with people to help them open up and, and to relate to their story and, and to help guide them to, to get better, to get help for themselves. And um, it's not it's not a, you know, home run every time, but at least you try. You put you, you make yourself vulnerable. And, and the worst thing that could happen is nothing happens. The best thing that could happen is somebody relates and wants to get help and you build that relationship. And that's what it's about. And, and I think that's what survivors that, that give back and are a part of this is that they want to give back because they know what it feels like. Their families know what it feels like. Their kids know what it feels like. And if you have an opportunity to even touch one life, then it's worth it because, you know, I was given this gift and, and I have to give it back. What do you hope comes out of this project? 
dialogue and conversation because that's where it starts. And we don't want to start with mandates and telling people they have to do what they have to do. But when, when you get on an open playing field and, you know, your kids come home and, and you can talk to them about their day and, and be in a, in a place where you can understand and appreciate what they're going through, I think that's meaningful. And, and it starts a dialogue. And once you start that dialogue, it grows. And that's, that's something that this country needs is more conversations on these things and, you know, more healing. And, and it's just going to promote healing. And once these conversations start, finding those resources, finding those people you connect to to help heal. Imagine you go back and you meet the younger you and you see him as he's entering into that darkness and struggle. How do you approach him and what do you say to him? I would say, I would say it's okay. You know, there's a better way. I've walked your path before. And if you need the help, I'm here for you. And whenever you're ready, I'll be here waiting. That was Justin Volpe. He is a Miami voice featured in the new public television documentary called Hiding in Plain Sight, Youth Mental Illness. Now he's a certified recovery peer specialist for the National Association of State Mental Health Program Directors. And once again, if you or someone you care about could benefit from calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, the number again is 1-800-273-8255. By the way, starting July 16th, just a little over a week away, everyone across the United States will be able to get routed to that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by just dialing a three-digit code, 988. You can find out more about the documentary and see how to watch both parts on our social media at WLRN Sundial. Well, still to come, some of Florida's most iconic wildlife, like alligators and manatees, are welcoming travelers at the airport in Fort Lauderdale. We'll explain. Welcome back to Sundial on WLRN. I'm Luis Hernandez. When you think of Florida, what are some of the things that you think about? What comes to mind? Like what? Palm trees, the ocean, the Everglades? How about alligators, manatees, crabs? For this Wildlife Thursday, we're talking about a new photo exhibit at the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. It's showcasing some of these iconic Florida images, serving as a welcome or a farewell to travelers from all over the world. We're joined now by the local photographer behind the photos, Russell Satterthwaite. Russell, welcome to the program. All right. I know we have Russell there, and we have him on Zoom, and I think he's now finally with us. Russell, how are you doing? Hi, Lewis. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Great to have you. You know what? Um, First of all, the photos are absolutely beautiful. Um... I could get caught just sitting there in the airport looking at these for hours. Then I'd miss my flight and I would get mad at you. But can you go back to one photo that you made that you looked at and realized photography is the thing you got to do? Well, it's, it really started in high school, uh, photographing my friends surfing. Um, it, it, you know, we just didn't have pictures of ourselves surfing. So me and my friend, we just take turns uh, photographing each other, you know, surfing. And all of a sudden, it, it, you know, people would say, hey, can you take a picture of me here? Or can you, you know, get a picture of me surfing? And 
next thing you know, you figure out you can make money doing it. And many years later, you end up a wildlife photographer. <laughs> were you were, were you like, were you in the water? Did you have a camera that you were in the water getting close-up shots of your friend surfing? No, no, no. Back then, it, it was more of a long lens situation. You'd be on the beach and they would be out there. Um, I, I didn't really start my, my underwater stuff until about uh, six years ago. Oh, okay. Is that when you started doing wildlife? Uh, no, I was doing wildlife before, but uh, when I bought the underwater equipment and uh, started getting in the water, because I'm always interested uh, in what's underneath. So, mm. And you have some beautiful underwater shots. What was the first wildlife, though, that you were photographing? First wildlife stuff was was probably mostly birds in the Everglades and and that kind of stuff, you know, alligators and and you know, but it was all from above, you know. Mm-hmm. And since I'm a life lifelong uh, scuba diver, uh, I, I was like, I got to get underwater and see what it's like under there. Oh, you got this incredible, beautiful, close up shots of alligators and from underwater. And there's this one where the, the alligator's coming towards you and its mouth is open. You can see all of its teeth. Tell me the story behind this photograph. Well, this, this picture was actually taken at a at the Everglades Outpost, which is down in Florida City. And, and they are a no-kill um, preserve. And they, they actually have a large, it's, it's not really a tank, but it's, it's just like nature. And uh, they take care of nuisance alligators and don't kill them. And at one point, you, they would allow you to get in the water with them. And the FWC put a, a stop to that. But um, at that point, there's, there's a large area that you can get in. And there may be 20 alligators in there. There may be five. It just depends on, on, on the time. And this one, his name is Casper, and he's, he's uh, quite friendly. Just if you get too close, he'll open his mouth like that. That's giving you a warning. Beat it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, what's going through your mind, you know, when you're, you're in the water like that and you get that close, that animal's getting that close to you. And then, yeah, it opens its mouth, and you know what these animals can do. Well, the first thing, you, it, the thrill is, is something that it's very hard to describe, but it's, it's just fantastic. And the other thing is, is you have this big camera in your hand and a housing, and if anything really happens, you just shove it in his mouth and haul butt. <laughs> Give up the camera, save yourself. I got gotcha. you. Uh, absolutely. Do you, I mean, uh, how many times have you ever found yourself out in the wild in a scary moment? Uh, you know, I think the first time I'm in the Everglades or in North Florida and the, the rivers or anywhere and you, and you, you come across a, you know, a, a wild alligator under the water, it, your heart will pound like you have no idea. It, it really will wake you up. So it's, it's really it's just the sense of all of a sudden it happens in front of you. Um, I really have to remind myself to push the, the button, you know, start taking pictures because I'll just sit there and look at it, you know. Mm. Again, I'm talking with award-winning photographer Russell Satterthwaite. His photography is being showcased at the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. It's in Terminal 2. They're going to be on display there through December of this year. And you can find some of those images and a link to more information about the exhibit and his work on our social media at WLRN Sundial. 
Um, let's move over to, uh, we go from the alligator to the manatee. And you know what? First of all, you've got these incredible, beautiful photos of, of manatees. But tell me a little bit about what it's like when you're swimming with them. And, and you know, obviously there's no danger. But again, you can get caught up just looking at the beauty. Yeah, they they are one of my favorite subjects because they are just just lovable. They are so friendly. And and all you do is really just have to stand in one place because the ones that want to, you know, interact will come up and swim around you. And the ones that have no interest, you know, won't. Um, I, I, I photographed these guys in the springs up in northern Florida and uh, all during the cold, cold weather of the winter. Um, and they come in and I, I get in there and just kind of sit in one place and uh, they are just as lovable as can be. I mean, they're just fantastic. You know, just for people who may not know, though, what what are the rules that you have to follow when you're in the water with creatures like especially the manatee? Well, it's hands off. You can't touch them. Um, that's the big one. You know, they they can touch you and they will they'll come right up and, and, and plow India, but you know, you don't pet them, you don't touch them. You just photograph. It's against the law to, you know, to touch them. Hmm. There's another photograph. I have to, I have to ask you about this because it, it is so, I love the clarity and the detail and it's the one of the blue land crab. Tell me the story behind this one. Well, you know, I live in Fort Lauderdale, and every year when we get these first big rains, they kind of walk. You know, I'm in a neighborhood close to water, and this guy was in my front yard. And I caught him and put him in this giant bucket and photographed him underwater. And I set it up almost like a still life. Um, it was a, just a big tub, and I put him in the water, and I put my camera in the water, and the camera reflects his image so he thinks there's another crab so he's he's reaching out to uh, you know either pinch me or the the crab that's in front of him you know so that's that's really how i got that shot it was more like a still life and i took the picture and i took him out of the the tub of water and and let him go on his way you know i was thinking about what you said earlier with the camera and like i'd imagine you probably have a collection of all sorts of cameras what what did What's your favorite to use right now? Is it? Do you still use film? Are you still old school, or are you digital? And nope, I'm fully digital these days. I stopped shooting film. Uh, God, it's got to be ten years or more now. Um, I, I I don't shoot film at all anymore. It's just uh, just a matter of really convenience. You know, you you can do it. You can look at it. And I, I don't do a lot of manipulation as far as, uh, you know, changing backgrounds or adding stuff. I, you know, I, I the digital is just the, the way to go in my world these days. Yeah. You know, uh, I have to mention, too, that you have photographs, not just of animals. You have photographs of native flora. Um, there's this beautiful photo that you have that's called Stumpy. Uh, it's a cypress. <laughs> it's a cypress tree. And it looks like it's floating on fog and this is a spot that you visit every year isn't it yeah i photographed this tree throughout the year this this is uh, up on the saint john's river in northern florida um let's say the palatka area and um 
I came across this tree out, you know, looking for subjects as I normally do. And, and this one uh, has a, uh, uh, an osprey nest on the top of it. So I guess they keep chewing the top of it off and it, um, it doesn't grow any taller. You know, it's, I guess maybe at some point it will, but it, it, it's probably only 15 feet tall and nice and wide and it's uh it's one of my favorites i was up there last week photographing it with uh thunderstorms in in the background this time so what's it like though the experience of going back to that same place and and you know capturing trying to capture that that image which i'd imagine is different every time you go well that's that's one of the exciting parts about it is is it's it's a like a brand new experience it's it's like visiting an old friend but it, it's just different every single time i've i've photographed it at night uh on the particular case on that one you know we ended up in a morning of very thick fog for hours and hours um last week it was thunderstorms afternoon thunderstorms it's i i haven't had enough of it yet and there's more to come of this guy yeah what is it about florida's wildlife that you find most fascinating it's it's so unique there's just so much different opportunity to to photograph different stuff whether it's it's cypress trees in north florida or cypress trees in south florida over you know in the big ben area and cypress you know part of the park there it's it it's just drastically changing all the time and it's just so much fun is there anything that you haven't been able to photograph or that you want to photograph more well the alligator is a big challenge i i see a lot of alligators in north florida and they they're they're pretty elusive in the wild uh the otters are something that i've had a hard time getting to i see them uh they don't they don't seem to want to stick around and get their picture taken so <laughs> Uh, the otters the otters take off really fast i could tell you that one have you have you gotten any pictures of florida panthers i have not Are you, i have not it, it, have you not seen There's, one i have not seen one live i've seen bears up in north florida but uh as far as the panther goes i've never never seen a you know a picture or one live can I just tell you, I feel better now because I've lived here all, almost all my life, and neither have I. Okay, good. I'm not the only. I'm not the only one. Um, as I mentioned, you know, this gallery is at the Terminal Two Art Gallery again in the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. It's on display through December of this year, um, and again, it's welcoming people in and out, people leaving or people coming in. What are your thoughts on on having your images in a place like that, in an airport where you have so many eyes that are going to be on it and it makes an impression on people. Hey, it's, it, it's been a dream for, I don't know how many years ago it was, but I, I flew in from somewhere working and, and Clive butcher had his, his exhibit in there. And I was like, you know what? I, that's, that's, that's what I'm working towards right there. I, I want to have my work in an airport because it, you have a captive audience. Everybody's sitting there waiting or, you know, to go. They're going to look at your stuff. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. And again, you could be you could sit there for hours and hours. These are, are gorgeous photos. You know what, Russell? I really appreciate it. Thank, congratulations on having him there. Thank you so much for sharing the time with us. And let me know when you finally do catch a picture of a Florida Panther. Then we'll get you back on. we got to talk. 
I'll get it out to you, Lewis. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Again, photographer Russell Satterthwaite. And you can find some of his photos and a link to more information about the exhibit. It's on our social media at WLRN Sundial. Check out his Instagram. Go to his website. Some of those manatee photos he's got. Absolutely beautiful. Well, that's our program for this Thursday, July 7th, 2022. I want to mention, because I didn't get to say it yesterday, so we got a book club, obviously, and you can join the Sundial Book Club. It's free. Go to Facebook, look up Sundial Book Club. If you're not a member, just ask to join. We'll let you in, and we'd love to hear what you're reading, but what we're reading for the month of July, we decided to go, we're going to go to a classic for our summer reading we're reading The Everglades, River of Grass by Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Again, find it on Facebook, Sundial Book Club. And check out the post there because what we're going to do this month, we would love to hear your stories about the Everglades. Any story. You could tell us in a story form, a short essay, maybe even a poem. Tell us about your experience with the Everglades, why you love it so much. And we're going to be sharing some of those throughout the month. It's all there on Facebook. Again, the Sundial Book Club. And get your copy of the book. We're going to be uh, talking with all sorts of folks. Folks who knew Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and folks from the Everglades National Park uh, as we celebrate the park for the month of July. Again, we're reading the Everglades River of Grass by Marjorie Stoneman Douglas for July. Already got my copy. It is big, but so much fun. I'm Luis Hernandez. As always, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Take care of each other. The program is made possible in part by support from Miami Cancer Institute. WLRN Public Media.